0: This week I was in LA with essentially our department heads and two church planters from Grace Church uh, looking to be sent out. And we went to a conference called Exponential, which is a church planters conference. And I came back inspired and challenged. And there's so many stories I wanted to share, but I wanted to share at least one story because we're actually talking about starting at at Grace a hundred church plants or sites over the next 20 years. And there was a guy we heard named Ralph Moore, and you might have heard of him before. You can look him up. He's from Hope Chapel, started Hope Chapel in California years ago. From the very beginning, he committed himself to being a church-planting church. And this weekend, he's going to be at the opening of their 2,321st church. They have planted 2,321 churches over these years. By the way, uh, our, our team, when they heard 2,321, gave me the look of disdain. A hundred is quite lame. Yeah, so, and uh, by the way, if those churches averaged, you know, the average church in America, I think, is 88. But if you throw a hundred at it, that means that their churches, over the years they've started, would average this weekend 232,000 people in those churches, which I believe is a large church. Uh, it's uh, impacting other churches. So, uh, so Ralph Moore described how he did that. He, he went to disciple-making. Church planting is really about the Great Commission and disciple-making. And he said this comment which I loved. You have a million disciples in you. Would you like to make yourself a million disciples of Jesus these next 20 years? You could do it. The way you do it is invest in 20 people, one per year. So if you disciple somebody, at the end of year one, you're going to have two people ready to disciple. Just one other person. Pick one person by next year you'll invest in, they'll disciple. In the following year, your two becomes four people. Four people ready right, to fan out and disciple. The following year, eight people. The following year, 16. After 20 years, you have over one million disciples. That's how he raised up leaders. So many people said, I could do this church planting thing. They have 2,321 church plants. You say, how would I disciple? Discipleship actually is really easy. You just take a year, invite somebody in a relationship or a, a grace group. You hope one of them get it. Out of your several there. And so what you do is you say this. This year, you're going to pray like I pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray. You're praying just like I do every day. And you're going to read in the Bible where I'm reading. Make sure you're writing your questions down. We can talk about those when we gather together. And then you're going to serve where I'm serving. Because if you're praying where I, like I'm praying, if you're reading where I'm reading, we're answering Bible questions, you're serving where I'm serving, in a year you could do that. That's disciple making. And by the way, that's how he made 2,000. 321 church plants. Uh, and, and you have, imagine if you just took, if we just stopped today, just left and said, what would it look like for you to invest the next 20 years of your life trying to each year find one person, just one, take a year with and invest in? You could literally change the world. So Thursday night, it's late. I'm inspired and exhausted, and I'm on the plane headed back. And this guy next to me, a big guy, spilling onto my seat. You ever been in a seat where in an airplane seat and he's spilling in? And I'm, I'm trying to T-Rex and type, right? So, and I'm praying, dear God, shrink this guy's arms. And so I'm doing this. And all of a sudden I hear, I hear the... Uh, I'm trying to spend time with God, typing my notes, preparing for today. And I hear the speech from the flight attendant. At this time, make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their full upright and locked position. Ah. Make sure your seat belts are securely fastened around your waist. And at this time, all portable electronic devices must be set to airplane mode. Don't! I was using the internet. So I did that. I grabbed my portable electronic devices. I switched them all to airplane mode. I made the, you have to make the conscious decision to do that, though, to turn to, to airplane mode. So when you go to airplane mode, what are you doing? You're shutting out the world, you're shutting out distractions, shutting out the internet, texts, emails, phone calls, and you have to focus on something else. In airplane mode, maybe you listen, uh, maybe you talk, maybe you think, that's what airplane mode is. That's what, we're calling, that's what we're calling this series a four week series on deeper prayer. We all have prayers we have throughout our day. We connect with God. It's awesome. Throughout our day, it's kind of you know, this quick hitters throughout your day praises, requests. But there are moments that God wants us to go airplane mode. Shut out the world, spend time listening, talking, or just thinking with God. And so, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. If you want to open your Bibles there, like this series, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Our ushers have Bibles. If you want to raise your hand, you can either borrow one or keep one. Matthew chapter 6. I do want to welcome those of you at our Overland Park campus. Maybe you're right now in the venue or in the auditorium. Maybe you're part of our Olathe campus, the team getting ready to launch Olathe campus on 205.17. Or maybe you're guys online. Uh, Maybe you're driving down the road Or you're somewhere in the States or somewhere outside the States. We just want to welcome you. We believe God has something special for you both today and throughout the the next four weeks. If you're taking notes, you can write today's particular topic down. Here's our challenge and our topic today. Finding time and space for prayer. Finding the time on our schedule. And finding the space. Where do you do this? Finding time and space to go airplane mode with God... Shut out distractions and engage with him. And here's our airplane mode verse, Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, talks about airplane mode, Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, that's the time to pray, go into your room. Well, there's a space to pray. And when you have shut your door, now you're going airplane mode, shutting out the world, distractions. Pray to your father, who is in the secret place, and your father, your dad, God the Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So I'm going to pray today that God opens our eyes to finding the time and space for that deeper prayer moment, uh, airplane mode moment with God. But also, I'm going to pray for a tragedy with Hurricane Matthew this week. If you watch the news, uh, first of all, Haiti was struck and. Uh, The last estimate was 877 people died in the country of Haiti. And an estimated 350,000 people need help right now in Haiti. In addition, when it hit the states, four people died in the United States. And states of emergency have been declared for Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. So I'm going to pray that God helps us to think about airplane mode ourselves. But I'm also going to pray if you join me in praying with them. If you want to do more than pray, though, if you want to donate, which is more than pray, then you can donate to the Hurricane Relief. We have two partners on the ground in both locations. For To donate to Hurricane Relief in Haiti, just go to the website. Go directly to MOH Haiti, That's Mission of Hope, our partner in Haiti. They're on the ground. They're serving. They're ready. You can donate right to their relief effort. Or if you want to donate to Hurricane Relief right here in the U.S., go to SamaritansPurse.org. SamaritansPurse.org. They're our partner not not only for the Operation Christmas Child boxes, but they also do humanitarian efforts around the world. You can donate to the efforts right there if you'd like. Let's pray both for them and join me in praying for the people affected by Hurricane Matthew and then praying for, for us as well. God, we do pray for the... 877 sets of friends and family and the four sets of friends and family both in Haiti and the U.S. that lost somebody they care about. Um, and there might well be people who don't know where their uh, friends or family are. I mean, people who've lost their entire house, it's gone. Business, gone. Farm, gone. Maybe people have been separated. Maybe they have no resourcing, no clothes now, no change of clothes. God, we pray for both Haiti and the U.S. We pray for you to bring hope and resourcing and light and in this dark time where people sense the love of Jesus and the comfort and the hope they can only find in you. We do pray for us today. We pray for those uh, who are starting this brand new series on prayer, the deeper prayer moments, the airplane mode moments. Help us to find the time and space on our calendar to pray. And teach us about prayer, maybe shift our view of prayer away from a religious ritual into really just a love-filled conversation with someone we care about. We pray this in Jesus, your name, amen. All right, I'm going to share three thoughts today, three thoughts. And so many of us are at different stages of of our prayer life. Maybe you don't pray at all, or you're just starting to do it, don't know how to do it. You're deep in prayer, wherever you're at. We think all three thoughts will be helpful to you on your journey But I do want to quote uh, a quote I just heard from Rosalind Rinker. Rosalind Rinker. She said this about prayer. She said, don't overcomplicate prayer. Don't overcomplicate the fact that prayer is just a conversation between two two people who love each other. Prayer is just a conversation between two people who love each other. Don't overcomplicate it. It's just God who loves you and you who love God. If you have a conversation with someone you love, there's sense of ease and rest. That's what prayer really is. And so, three thoughts today. The first regards our motives in prayer, our motives. Here's thought number one. Number one, God loves it. You can write down this. God loves, write down, God loves when we care more about what he thinks than what others think. Write down, God loves when we care more about what God thinks more than what others think. He does care more about what God, does love it when we do that. I would say this is a challenge for me and most likely a challenge for you because I'd say what I'm really good at naturally, I'm really good at caring what you think of me. I care about that deeply. I want to be liked. I watch people's faces, countenances. I hyperanalyze interactions. I think about how I'm being presented. I care deeply and I don't have to think about it. ...about what people think about me. Here's what's not natural... ...but I need to be intentional and spiritual... ...saying no. No, God. Of course I care what people think about me... ...but I care more... ...about what you think about me... ...than what people think about me. Like that moment has to be intentional and spiritual. God loves it when you just say no. Of course you're more important your opinion. We're going to be in Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's arguably the greatest message in history. If you rated that message on a scale of 1 to 10, it'd be a 10 out of 10 message. You cannot improve this message. In the middle of it, in Matthew chapter 6, so Jesus is talking about three things we do that we tend to care about what people think about us. Good works. Good works. He says, Don't do good work so people care, so people credit you or they thank you. Here's the question Jesus asks Would you be okay if you really worked hard and did good things and no one thanked you and no one noticed but God? Is God's thanks and awareness enough for you? If not, maybe you're placing the thoughts of other people higher than the thoughts of God he goes on to prayer we're gonna talk about that in a second don't pray so that don't pray in a way couch your words think about well, what are they thinking about how I'm praying because then you're caring more about what people think about you than what God thinks fasting when you fast don't look miserable <laughs> what's wrong I'm just fasting and so the people think wow you're so spiritual Don't come off in a way that makes you just uber spiritual. Fast in secret. No, I'm doing good. Life is awesome. I'm dying over here fasting, but life is wonderful as I pray. God loves it when we care more about what what he thinks than what others think. That's Matthew 6, verse 5. Look what it says. And when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, you shall be not like the hypocrites. For they, the hypocrites... Love to pray, standing in the synagogues. Look at me. And standing on the corners of the streets. They had street preachers back in the day, street prayers. Look at me. That they may be seen by men. That's the wrong motive. To do something so people could see how spiritual we are? Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, which is credit from people, but, verse 6, our airplane airplane mode verse, if I could say that right, But you, when you pray, go into your room. There's your space. When you've shut your door, there's airplane mode. Pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's caring more about what he thinks and what others think. Hear how Paul says it over in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians 1:10. You can write that verse down. Galatians 1:10. Paul asks questions. How would you answer these questions this week? Paul asks. For do I now persuade men or God? When really, he asks, am I really about making people think I'm good or spiritual or nice, being liked? Or do I really care more about God's approval? So this week, how are you doing? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. God God really does care about our motives when we pray. And he wants our motives to be, God, I don't even care how I sound to people. If I mess up my words, I don't say the right things. I don't look spiritual enough for their prayer. Who cares what they think about my appearance, my look? It really is about you approving of me. That's our first thought, motives. Our second thought, Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Here's our second thought today. He clears up some misunderstandings. Number two, if you write this down, number two, God wants us to know. That our prayers don't depend on our prayers. God wants us to know that our prayers do not depend on us, our prayers. He wants us to know that. Our prayers don't depend on our prayers. What are we saying? We're saying the successfulness of our prayers doesn't depend on us. It's not how good you pray. Did you choose the right words or not? Did you pray long enough? Did you attach it with a little magical incantation at the end? In Jesus' name, now your prayer works. It's not about us. Our prayer, the success, depends on the recipient, not the deliverer. It depends on how attentive God is and how loving God is, how good God is. Our prayers don't depend on us, our prayers. In fact, Matthew 6, verse 7, he clears up a misunderstanding, Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Jesus pointed out there's people around the world who think that they're just getting the words out. There's various religions that even say, if you don't understand the words... You utter it in the right language or the right words, it's all good. Just get the words out, and by repetition, you by volume will move your God. And Jesus said, That's a misunderstanding. God knew what you did before. One time was plenty, although I do want you to ask repeatedly. One time it was pl- I heard you, I, I heard you. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus said, It's not the type of words you say, or the volume of words you say, or the quality of words you say, it's the recipient. And he says, never pray mindless, empty repetitions. I'm glad we don't do that in our culture. We don't, you know, chant to statues and things like that. We don't do that until a few weeks ago. So um, Kathy and I are putting Malin to bed. She's two and a half. It's bedtime. It's dark. Uh, we finally, everything's done except prayer and bed. Put her in the crib. And so she's lollygagging around on one of us. I don't know who it is. And we're praying. And, I'm, and I, I have to pray. Okay, dad's going to pray. And I was so tired. I don't always do this, but I was so tired. So I went, sure, I'll pray. Lord, I thank you for this food. (laughs) What? Did I just pray for the food? There is no food here. My daughter is not food. And so I totally did my. Jesus says, don't pray vain repetitions like the heathen do or like Tim does at that bedtime. And I laughed about it. Kathy certainly laughed about it. Malin's just she's unconscious at this point. Uh, but I just laughed. I said this. I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Apparently, my mind checked out, my heart checked out, and I just went into autopilot. That is so wrong. Let me try this again. God, I pray for our daughter. I pray that you give her a good night's sleep. I pray that you would just protect her, help her to walk with you, help you save her one of these days. I pray for her future spouse, that guy. I pray it's a two-parent home, a Christian home. God, please, help her be a good leader someday. All the things you pray for your kids, you're asking God for. Then we put her down and went away. Jesus said, don't pray. Mindless repetitions. In fact, our prayers, look at Matthew 6, verse 8. Here's why we don't just have to keep praying, praying. He already knows. Therefore, do not be like them. Or in that case, Tim. Don't be like Tim. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So God knows what you need even before you pray it. So do I need to pray? Why didn't God just give us stuff? Why does he make us pray? Well, clearly he says sometimes we don't have something because we're not praying about it. Write down James 4 verse 2 and look it up. James 4 verse 2 says, You have not Because you ask not. You don't have something. Sometimes because you're not praying about it. You ever got frustrated with somebody? Man, I'm so frustrated with them. Oh, why don't they do this? Years ago, I I kind of put a rule on myself. I would not get frustrated with somebody until I really gave that issue to prayer. God, I pray for them to do this. I need to pray. You have not because sometimes because you're not asking in prayer. You say, well, why would we pray? Why would he make us ask? Two reasons you can write down. Two reasons. Number one is so we know. God makes us ask in prayer so we know God answers. That's why he wants us to pray. So we pray, he does something, God answer my prayer. We know. Number two, we're closer. He says, I want you to pray because you'll be closer to me. When you communicate with somebody, you're going to get closer to them. When you stop communicating, you're going to drift farther apart. And God wants you to pray because he wants to be closer to you. That's his motive. He wants to be close to you. He's your dad. He's the perfect parent. And so I was talking to a friend of mine in our church named Alex Valverde. He was asking about prayer. He says, Tim, do you ever get like uh, conscious? I don't feel comfortable praying out loud. What do you do when you don't want to pray with somebody else or in a group? What do you do when you're not comfortable? And so I, I confessed to him for many years. It's not as bad now. But for many years in a prayer circle, I hated it. It's not as bad now. But back in the day, here's what I should be praying. Here comes the prayer baton. It's coming around the room. So here's what I should be doing. Oh, yeah, I pray for Joe's prayer. Man, that's good. Lord, I echo that prayer. Okay, we're Susan, yeah, there's Jenny's prayer. Yeah, Lord, that's a good one. Lord, I pray. Yeah, Ted, there's his prayer. No, that's awesome. I, Marcus, I, I should be praying that. No, you know what I do? Oh, God, what am I going to pray? Here it comes to me. He's coming to me. I don't, I don't know. I got to say something. I don't want to look like a doofus and idiot here. So, okay, I'm, okay, I'm going to pray. Okay, that's the topic. I'm, I'm not even listening to them. I'm not even praying with them. Oh dear God. Okay, okay, I'll do this. I'll subject. That's the thing I'll do. Did they just pray my prayer request? I got to come up with something different now. Okay, God, please. I pray that. I pray. I, yeah, that's the inner dysfunctional world in me. Okay. And if, here's the deal. If you're like me, why do you not want to pray out loud? I'll tell you what my problem was. I cared more about what the group thought of me than what God thought of me. Now, should I care what people think about me? Certainly. You've got to be concerned and aware of it at least. But at that moment, I was valuing the thoughts of others more than the thoughts of God. And that's the wrong priorities. That's me. And so I told Alex, I said, hey, this is a deal. Um, just pray whatever. God is the most important recipient. And by the way, he changes your prayer request anyway. Even if you mess up. You guys, the Holy Spirit changes your prayer request, takes it to Jesus. The whole trinity is involved with prayer. I'm going to teach you what I taught Alex. Look at Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit inside you intercedes, goes between you to God, intercedes. Jesus intercedes, goes between you to God. The whole trinity is involved in prayer, and God changes your prayer request anyway. Look what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Here's the Spirit interceding, changing your prayer request. Likewise, the Spirit also, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for. We don't know what we should pray for. That verse says that my prayer list is the wrong prayer list. I don't know what to pray for. Now, I still have a prayer list. I still pray important things. We're called to pray certain things in Scripture. But I don't really know the exact right prayer list. That's why God changes your prayers. Then, even if I got the right prayer list, if I came up with it, I would never have the right attitude, the groanings. Look what he says. We do not know what we should pray for. That's the list. As we ought. That's our attitude. We would never have the passion surrender uh, groanings, God changes your prayer request and the attitude, He fixes it, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. He goes between us and God with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, He, verse 27, now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit ends up praying. The will of God. So here's what the Holy Spirit does. You pray something. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, yeah, that's good. But you totally said it the wrong way. Lord, they need this. Groanings you cannot utter. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says this. No, you don't need that. I hear you. You don't need that. You need this. The will of God. Lord, this other prayer request. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So Alex, stop stressing about your words. He's going to change them anyway. Stop. It's God's opinion. Then Jesus takes it to to God. He intercedes for you. Romans 8.34. Romans 8.34 says this. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen. He's alive. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. He goes between us and God. So here's what Jesus does. He takes this amazing prayer request, that's the will of God, with amazing groanings, and he goes, wow, that's good. Father, would you do that for me? Because I'm asking you. He puts his name on it. That's what in Jesus' name means. Jesus, would you sign your name on this prayer request? Because you'll get a listening. And then the father goes, wow, great prayer request, great attitude. And because you asked, of course, my son. My son. Then Jesus does it. The Holy Spirit implements it. That's how prayer works. I told Alex, stop stressing. If you pray in a group, dive down deep. What is your concern when you're concerned about praying out loud? Is it not, I really care what people think about me more than what God thinks about me? And God loves it when we care more about what he thinks than what other people think. Like in that group, if you have, you're just blanking, I have no idea what to say. Just say, God, I got nothing except I love you. That's awesome. What dad would not want to hear that you love him? All right, so Jesus put up some misunderstandings about prayer. Go back to Romans or Matthew chapter 6 again. Here's our third thought today. It regards God's own motives. Number three, if you're writing notes, number three, God longs for us. God longs for us to find time and space to be with him. God longs for us. To find some time and space on our calendar, in our world, to be just with him in airplane mode. Two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, one hour, whatever it is. Go back to verse 6. You can see his motives. He's the perfect parent. But you, when you pray, there's your time, when, go into your room. There's your space to pray, your room. And when you have shut your door, now you're in airplane mode, so to speak. Pray to your father. What is God's motive in prayer? He's your dad. Imagine the perfect parent, because we all have different types of dads and moms. I want you to imagine the best parent in the world, best parent in history, the best parent in the history of the world, which is nothing compared to God. He's far better. What great parent wouldn't want to have just some, you know, parent-daughter time, parent-son time, father-daughter time, father-son time? Why does God want me to pray? He wants some father-son time, mother-daughter time from the best parent in history. He wants to be close to you. He loves you. It's just a conversation between two people who love each other. According to verse six, here here is a picture of where Jesus said to meet with God. Jesus said, Go find a room, close the door, shut out all distractions, go into airplane mode. And just meet with me. He longs to meet with you. Jesus found other places to go into airplane mode. Did you know he got, went into airplane mode in nature? He went outside to get in airplane mode? Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He went to airplane mode, but he's in nature. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But he wasn't alone there. It was him and God. He was spending time with God. God the Father longed to have his son. Here's a picture where Jesus actually met with God. That's a picture of the Sea of Galilee and the mountains around it. So Jesus would get away from people, society. He would walk up into the mountains, into the woods, find a quiet place in nature, and just spend time with his dad. He found, that's where he, where's your time and space? You meet with God. That's what Jesus did. Guys, God longs for you to find time and space to be with him. Here's where I meet with God in the mornings. And uh, that's not the actual one. That's pretty close. My, so my favorite time of day is the very early mornings when we get up. First thing I do in the day is I get a big glass of water. Very first thing. Second thing, Kathy and I make coffee in our French press. And we take a seat in the living room, different places. And it's quiet. We have our prayer list and our Bibles, our journals. And we just... I have father-son time with my dad. And my wife has father-daughter time with her dad, God the Father. That is our time and space to meet with God. God longs that. What's your time and space you meet with God? Here's where I used to meet with God at lunchtime. That, my friends, is a brown Chevy Citation. Oh, yeah, baby. I had an 82 brown Chevy Citation. Let's call that. That's the classic chick magnet. Come on. Come on. How do you think I landed a girl like Kathy? She saw that brown A2 Chevy Citation. She said, that's the guy for me. So I drove that in college. I drove it when I worked at Black & Beach for six years. I drove it as a young pastor here at Grace. At lunchtime, when I was at Black & Beach, I'd go outside during lunch. I had about an hour. I'd take my lunch with me. I'd sit in my car. I'd close the door. That was my time and space, my room. Close the door of the Chevy Citation. I had my lunch. I'd wolf that down. And then I had my prayer list and my Bible. And at lunchtime, that was my time and space to meet with God. What's your time and space you you meet with God? Airplane mode with him. Here's one of my favorite places to meet with God. It's Tomahawk Creek Trail. And so I love a few times a week just getting away, Tomahawk Creek Trail, taking my Bible text for the week or my prayer list or listen to the Bible on audio. I'll run anywhere between 4 to 5 on the light end, 13 to 15 on the higher end. I just spend time. It's just me and God spending time with my dad. And it's awesome. And I'll stop and I'll write little notes like promptings. I'll listen to God. He will just put together thoughts and ideas and to-dos. That's my time and space I meet with God. What is your time and space you meet with God? Because he longs for that. Here's where I sometimes meet with God. That's the sidewalk outside of our Overland Park campus. And so I have a free app on my phone, a free app called Stand Up. It's called Stand Up. And every 50 minutes, it reminds me, get up and save your life. And here's the way God designed us physically. He designed us that we need movement throughout our day to be most effective. It's healthy for us to take movement breaks. We're more focused when we take movement breaks. We're productive. Stand up. And so I go out, I stand up. And what do I do when I walk around to get some movement? I spend time with God. I talk to him, I think, I listen. That's my time and space I meet with God. What's your time and space you meet with God? God's longing for some more time. This is the principle of the big rocks and small rocks. And this example came from Stephen Covey, who taught on leadership years ago. If you've not heard it before, look up Stephen Covey, big rocks and small rocks. It's about a life planning example Picture the two jars. Which jar are you living? Are you a left jar life with God or a right jar life with God? The big rocks represent big responsibilities, big priorities. The small rocks, they're less important, but they fill up our day. Are you living a left jar life right now? Look at that left jar. The left jar represents people who, with God, put all the other less important things in their schedule first. They do this, they do that, they do this. They're really good stuff. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Their schedule fills up, At the end of their day, their jar is full, and the big rock, time with God, didn't fit. Are you living a left jar life with God? Are you living a right jar life with God, which is the right way to live? That's where the person puts the big priorities on their schedule first. That goes in first. Other things get sprinkled around that. At the end of the day, they've actually had the biggest priorities on their calendar first. Which jar best represents your life, your time with God? Are you a left jar Life person with God where it's just continuing, man, I, just, I have no time to meet with him. Or your right jar person. I'm, I'm going to put that in. That's what I'm going to do. This if other things get pushed till tomorrow, that's okay. I, I'm going to have two minutes with God, 10 minutes with God, 15, an hour, whatever your deal is. What is your time and space to be with him? Now, we're going to challenge our whole church to do this, to interrupt their day every day. And engage with God in different themes. This week's theme to engage with God in the middle of your day is thankfulness. You write down thankfulness. And we're going to ask you to take your phones out. I mean, I'd love to see phones. If you're driving on the road, please do not do this. Keep both hands on the wheel or pull over. But uh, set an alarm right now for 2.05. 2.05 p.m. And I want you to name it something specific. My alarm is now named, my 2.05 p.m. alarm, is named uh, Olathe Campus... And thankfulness. Two minutes, Olathe Campus, and thankfulness. Every week will change that. Next week, two minutes, Olathe Campus, and blank. That's next week. So at 2.05 p.m., bing, 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 all around the world, we pause and take two minutes. Just to pray for the Olathe Campus. Why 2.05? Because 2.05 p.m. is for 2.05.17 when we're launching Olathe Campus. But thankfulness is to say, okay, I'm going to take a two-minute break right now, wherever I'm at, and just Thank God. I'm going to be thankful. That's where we challenge all of us to get some time and space interrupting our day in the middle of our day, 2.05 p.m. for God. In fact, let's just do that right now. We're going to take two minutes right now. Put your alarm in your phone, 2.05 p.m., two minutes with God. We'll at the campus in thankfulness. And let's take some time right now to do that, to pray and be thankful. Lord, we do pray for the Olathe campus. I pray for Kent and Kim Lyles, um, that couple who's going to lead that plant, and I pray your hand would be upon them. And all I pray for the, the, we pray for 200 people to sign up, adults to sign up to actually serve in real ministries, uh, and I pray for people who, are, who have already committed but not communicated it yet, people on the brink. To really invest in a new church plant, there's more disciples made in new church plants than existing church plants. So I pray people would invest their life planting and spreading the church to make more disciples. And we are thankful. Thankful for your love for us. Thankful that you accept us in Christ. Thankful that you never leave us. Thankful that you care for us. Thank you that you've forgiven us of all of our sins, they are gone when we're forgiven, gone. And we're so thankful for all the things you do for us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.